0: You are now listening to Bookish, The Canon Continues, the podcast that's dismantling the sacred-secular divide with your host, Michelle Collins. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bookish, The Canon Continues. I am your host, Michelle Collins. I'm here today all by myself. I get to talk about a book of my choosing today, and I'm really excited about that. I've been canoodling on this book for a while, um... I kind of vacillated between whether it was one I wanted to talk about or one I just wanted to read. Um, but in in the end, I decided there was a good amount of value in this book. Um, I think that my vacillation was due to the fact that the book is a difficult subject matter, not in its understanding, but more so in the fact that it challenges you on a personal level. And that is never comfortable, as I'm sure many of you know. Um, and also it was a little self-helpy for me, if that's not really a word, but I'm sure you know what I mean. Um, you know, the, the single motivation, the, the standing in the bookstore, looking for a book that's going to change your life kind of feel, um, and there's nothing wrong with that in honesty. In all honesty, but for whatever reason, I think it kind of gets a bad rap. And so again, I hesitated on this. Now, before I introduce this book to you, however, I want to tell you kind of my process. Um, about a year ago, uh, I was looking for something to read. I know that's shocking for you that I was looking for something to read. I mean, no, I'm kidding. Of course I was looking for something to read. This is what I do. Um, but I came across a book and, uh, it was by a gentleman who was older and it was his story of getting back into, uh, athletics or actually even, I shouldn't say getting back to, cause he wasn't hugely athletic. He had been a swimmer in, in college, but he had kind of fallen off that. And he was in his forties and he had, uh, a cardiac event and it kind of shook him. Um, and all of a sudden he realized I can't walk up a flight of stairs without gasping for air. And of course that can be somewhat frightening. I'm sure you can all understand that. Anyway, the name of that book was called Finding Ultra. Um, the gentleman who wrote it is now an, an ultra man. He's an elite athlete internationally. Um, and that's not the book I want to talk about, but what struck me in that book was the changing mentality that he had to go through in order to become this elite athlete. Because we're talking about a man who was living on McDonald's uh, of hamburgers, um, did not exercise, had a high stress job, um, and was struggling to kind of find his place in life as far as happiness. And it took a lot of fortitude to make these changes, Um, but it was more than that. It wasn't just a matter of willpower, because nobody wants to hear that. I don't want to hear that, and I'm sure you don't, because many of us don't have a lot of willpower. Um, but what he had was a desire for something better. So now, that's not the book I'm going to talk about, although that's a great book, and I would suggest it to anyone that's interested in his story. Um, he's also very well-spoken on the subject of veganism. Um, and it's effect on your body in a, from a physical perspective in becoming this elite athlete. Um, but as I said, it struck a nerve in me because many of you know that uh, I am a participating bodybuilder. I I'm working very hard on getting ready to compete. And there are days that I just can't do it. There are days when I struggle with my own self-confidence. There are days when I think you're too old for this. Um, I'm fifty four. I mean, I did bodybuilding when I was younger. Uh, I competed when I was twenty two, I believe. It's been a long time ago. Um, but nothing since. I mean, I played tennis for a while, you know, i I lifted weights off and on throughout the years, but I spent the time raising my kids and working. Um, several years ago, I kind of looked at myself and found myself where Rich found himself. What am I doing? I'm getting older. I've put on some weight. Um, I don't feel comfortable in my own body. Things are hurting that shouldn't be hurting yet. And I decided it's time to do something about it. Um, and of course, I'm a very competitive person. And so once I got back into the swing of working out again, uh, the competition bug kind of snuck in again. Um, and now it it is a part of my life, but it doesn't come without a fight. It doesn't come without a lot of uh, here's that dreaded word again, willpower, but at the same time, it's something that I'm having to work on in addition to that is my mentality, not just about this process, but about life, about everything that I want to do, about what I think about myself and how I choose to go through my day. So I came across this book I've got quite a few lately, um, kind of given to this subject matter because again, I'm very interested in psychology, that is my doctoral work um But again, I'm trying to find those things about myself that need some correction. Um, And and I'm trying to to find that course correction, um, not only physically, but mentally and psychologically, even emotionally. Um, I'm also trying to find it with the way that I view the world. And doing that is difficult because it forces you to look at yourself and say, I may be wrong. Um, However, I feel like that if more people were to say, I may be wrong about a lot of things, then maybe the world would be a better place if we were not all just so sure we're, we're right about everything. Um, so the book that I'm going to introduce is called Wake Up, which is ironic because I'm recording very early this morning. Um, and so, yeah, I need to wake up. But anyway, the book is called Wake Up, How to Get Out of Your Mind, Stop Living on Autopilot and Start Choosing Your Best Life by Claudia Valandia. Um, and as you can see, it sounds a little self-helpy. Um, I'm going to read you the back, a little bit of the back cover. So it gives you an idea uh, of what it's about. And then we'll, we'll dive in. Um, it says, wake up to your limitless life. Are you struggling to find the best version of yourself? Have you been living on autopilot controlled by your past conditioning and your ego? Do you suspect you are sabotaging your own success? If you are weary of seeing life through a negative lens, if you feel empty, unfulfilled, fearful, or unhappy, if you sense there is something more to life, wake up. Wake up will help you understand that anything you are experiencing stems from your own subconscious programming and you have the power to move beyond it. I know 15 people just checked out because, as I said, this is something that we all roll our eyes at and go, yeah, okay, whatever. But there's absolutely some real science involved in this, brain science. And so the more I, you know, I kind of, I kind of was not sure, as I said about reading the book, Uh, I started reading it and kind of got that same feeling. And then the more I got into it, the more I thought, this is great. There's a lot of really good information in here. And yes, maybe not all of it applies, but a lot of it does. And much of it applies without you even realizing it does. Because so much of what we do, so much of what we've been conditioned to do and to believe, and how to act, all comes to us subconsciously. And it's very difficult to change your subconscious mindset. Um, For many of you, and, and I've been open about this, but for many of you, you've gone through a process of religious deconstruction. You have changed your mind. This is another part of that process. You had to recognize, you had to wake up and recognize that maybe what you had believed for so long wasn't right, or no longer worked, or was not something you chose to believe, but just something that was passed on to you and you never questioned it. That was my case. Um, the same is true for much of our our life, for the things that we do and say. And so that's what I have found so interesting about this book. It's not a great big book, but I can tell you I have marked the hell out of this book. Um, I have so many pages dog-eared that the book is now about twice as thick as it normally would be. Um, but I wanted to start at the beginning here, which is always the best place to start, more often than not. I want to give you a quote. This is by Sigmund Freud. Many of you will know him as somebody we uh, read about or listen or hear about, quite honestly, in much of psychology. Um, he said, there is a powerful force within us, an unilluminated part of the mind. Separate from the conscious mind that is constantly at work, molding our thought, feelings, and actions. That's your subconscious. So, who are we, who's giving the direction in our lives? You know, we like to think that we're autonomous. We like to think that we're independent thinkers. We like to imagine that we set our own course. And maybe that's true on some level. But the fact of the matter is that much of what we do, much of what we Say or believe all comes from subconscious programming. Um, I know that in the past I have tried to work on my subconscious programming and it is incredibly daunting, frustrating, maddening, um, and emotion inducing. Uh, any of you that have ever worked with a life coach, if they've gone in deeper into this stuff, you do feel a sense of frustration and anger with them often. You feel emotional. Um, and it takes a while before something clicks and you go, Oh, I get it. That was my experience in working with a life coach. I have since become a life, uh, um, what's the word anyway, a certified, there it is a certified life coach. I told you it's early. Um, anyway, and, and I have found the same thing. People struggle to address this kind of stuff. Okay. Um, many people find themselves ruminating in the past, right? Uh, or feeling upset about things we don't have uh, or places that we want to go, things that we want to do. And yet we never move in those directions. So what clicks in the mind of someone like the gentleman I mentioned earlier, his name is Rich, what, what changes or what, cha- what f- uh, switch gets flipped in his mind to become this ultra elite athlete when he could barely get off the couch before. Something has to change. Um, for, much of, for many of us, uh, we spend our time, we're, we're worrying about future, we're imagining scenarios, we're wishing to be in a different place, and we never are actually qualified in our, in our thinking in the moment. Um, many of you have probably heard the term um, Mindfulness. And again, that's another word that maybe gets a little bit of an eye roll uh, from one group of people, but another group of people excitedly claps their hands and says, yes, that's the answer. Mindfulness, uh, living in the moment, being present, um, and and deciding how did I get here, right? Uh, too many of us live from reaction. And a reactive mode pretty much prompts you to make decisions for your life. Um, from your mindset that's been conditioned over time. You're used to living within a certain framework and you don't know how to live differently. Um, And so then you continue to act in the same way, which perpetuates your mindset. And you continue down the same road, wondering why you never reach a new destination. And frustration and emptiness sets in. And for many people, we just begin to live rote, you know, through rote and routine. We we get up every day, we shower, we go to work at a job that maybe we're not interested in. Um, we function through that day, we come home, we eat, we watch television, we shower, um, and we start again the next day. And we wonder why we feel unfulfilled. Um, and we sit around and we think, how did I get here? Well, there's a reason that we got there. Um So some of the key points that she brings up in the beginning of the book, um, I thought were really interesting. She talks about when you are not in tune with your emotions, um, you're not aware of your thoughts, when you're not consciously directing your behaviors, you're just going through the motions of living, which is what I was just saying. You are on autopilot. You don't consciously think about the things that you're doing. You simply function, um, And she continues, if you're not aware of what is evolving before you, most likely you're just living on autopilot, almost asleep. Um, You find yourself highly engaged in troubling thoughts about the past or the future rather than being engaged engaged in the present and aware of your surroundings. That's what I was talking about, mindfulness. Um, It's only by living in the present moment that you have the power and the opportunity to give direction to your life. And to actually experience it. Like you have to be awake to experience your life. Um, And I thought this was a great point. When you allow your conditioned mind to take over your life and allow your actions to be unconsciously dictated from your conditioned perspective or autopilot, you limit yourself from reaching your highest potential. Instead, we need to learn to direct our conscious mind and decide on conscious actions. Um, So I have another quote. This one's from the Buddha. Uh, I haven't studied the Buddha a great amount. I know many of you have, but this is in reference to the mind. Um, His quote is, who is your enemy? Your mind is your enemy. Who is your friend? Your mind is your friend. Learn the ways of the mind and tend the mind with care. In other words, your mind is incredibly important. Now, for many people, they're going to look at that and say, oh, we're talking about the brain. Well, in a fashion, yes, but your mind is that part of you that thinks and feels. It's facilitated by the physical side, the brain, but your mind is who you are. And so it makes sense that you need to take care of that, you know, and, and consciously protect your mindset, Um your mind is a powerful tool. We've all heard that before, but you have to consciously use it to leverage the power that it actually has. Um, and again, I know for some people, this sounds a little new agey. It did to me too. And I am conditioned in my religious past to shy away from anything (laughs) new age related, um, because somehow that's wrong. And yet there's so much value, value in this understanding. Um, the, the reality is your mind influences your emotional state, right? Your mind helps you experience joy or peace, um, but it also can keep you locked in a place of suffering or fear. We get to choose, um, but most of us don't. Uh, when we consciously direct our thoughts, though, we have the power to change our circumstances, to change the, the emotions that we're feeling. Um and that can either impact our well-being negatively or positively. Uh, so we have to decide what meaning our circumstances have. Uh, that helps us move forward to, to get out of this undesirable emotional situation. Um, the reality, though, and the hard truth is, if we're looking to change our life, we can't do it uh, if we continue thinking the same way that we've always thought. It's just a reality. You will continue to do the same thing over and over and achieve the same results and wonder why life isn't progressing. Um, many people have decided that's the definition of insanity. Uh, I kind of tend to agree with that, not from a psychological perspective, but from the perspective of, yeah, that's the experience. Um, but we can, okay, here's going to come one of those statements that sounds just a little new agey and a little self helpy. Um, we can harness the power of our mind. Uh, we can choose our thoughts. Um, we can choose our focus. We get to choose our actions. Um, but it takes intentional thought and reflection. And it it, uh, it definitely requires us to acquire some self-knowledge and self-awareness. Not many people are hip to that because, as I said, that can be frustrating. Um, it can be uh, upsetting to our paradigm. And so many of us don't want to do that, but let's go a little bit more here. She wants, uh, she brought up this subject. And again, as I said, there's so much value here in some of the things that she talked about just from a psychological perspective. Um, she has a very, very short chapter, which is ironic because I think this is a very big subject. She has a very short chapter on the conscious mind, the subconscious mind and actual consciousness. Um, And she does include a quote at the beginning of each of these chapters, which I really like. I didn't like all of them, but um, there were many of them that were really good. And this one uh, is by a man named Robert Collier. It is only through your conscious mind that you can reach the subconscious and the universal mind. Your conscious mind is the porter at the door, the watchman at the gate. It is to the conscious mind that the subconscious looks for all of its impressions. In other words... Everything that you are subconsciously acting from, every bit of knowledge that you subconsciously are acting from, at one point was conscious knowledge. It just became habit. It just became something that you decided to ruminate on for a while. Um, So your subconscious mind is where your personal conditioning comes from. Um, It's where the manifestation of your ego is stored. Oh, the ego is interesting. And she gets to that in a little bit, which I love that conversation. Um, so you you have this manifestation of your ego being stored there, and then you act on these things. She says unconsciously, and what that that always bothers me when people say that unconsciously because that insinuates to me that you're you're asleep. Um, but I guess that's her point. But she's really talking about an a, a subconscious mindset. Um, Your subconscious mind also manifests itself when you automatically react or when you're triggered in some fashion with a strong emotion. Right? That's your subconscious, and. That usually happens in a challenging situation, an you know, emotionally charged situation, maybe something that deals with abuse or things like that. We have a tendency to react and we call that a trigger. Um, but basically, from for all intents and purposes, that's your subconscious at work, right? Um, so you have to allow your conscious mind to actually work. In order to change your subconscious, you can't just keep going down the same road. And I'm looking at my time, and I'm going to have to hurry because there's still so much stuff here, and I'm already 20 minutes in. Um, but here was, here were there was two of two chapters that were my, my favorites. Um, her her chapter on the brain um, because I just found it fascinating. Uh, Nikola Tesla says, "My brain is only a receiver. In the universe, there is a." there is a core from which we obtain knowledge, strength, and inspiration. I have not penetrated into the secrets of this core, but I know that it exists. Well, we all know it exists, right? We, we all call it different things, the universal mind. We Some people refer to it as God, but we are all plugged in to the matrix, if you will. And at some point, we have to focus on it to see it. Um. So she goes into this very long not very long. She goes into a very in-depth discussion on the brain and how it's actually how it works and how it's composed. Um but she makes a few points here up front and I thought these were interesting. I have them highlighted. Uh research suggests that we make decisions based on our emotions and then we rationalize those decisions. So for all you people out there that have been told you're too emotional, to some degree that may be true and I'm one of those people and that always frustrates me when I'm told that, but it may be true. The more emotional we are, the more we're feeling what's happening to us. The more apt we are to rationalize our decisions based on that emotion. Okay, and then she goes on here, and and honestly, this uh, her discussion here reminded me of another book I've read. Uh, it's called "Finding God in the Waves" by Science Mike. Um, and he, I actually got angry when I read part of his book um, because it was something that was difficult to take. And and this is what she's bringing up. You can alter your brain wiring through your conscious mind, right? Because your your brain is basically, now don't take this wrong. Your brain is basically plastic, meaning it's malleable, not that it's actually made of plastic, Um, but it's malleable and it's changeable, right? Well, that's actually called neuroplasticity. (laughs) That's a real thing. Neuroplasticity, I guess in the simplest terms, is the ability uh, for your brain to change its physical, its actual physical structure and the efficiency and adaptability for efficiency and adaptability. In other words, your brain is continuously being wired and rewired through your experiences, your thoughts, and your behavior. Your brain has multiple neural pathways, and we've all heard this. You can actually build new neural pathways um, by changing your behavior. By changing your belief, you can actually create new neural pathways in your brain. Um, Some pathways are used more than others, and you reinforce them every time you think or feel in a certain way or repeat a certain action. So basically, it's like muscle memory. You are training your brain to think a certain way. Um, Which, by the way, for those of you that have gone through deconstruction, I'm sure that you can understand how this feels. At some point, you begin to change your mind. Now, we can debate what caused that change, um, but the reality is a change happened. And because of that, you began to change how you think. And the more you do that, the easier it becomes to see a new mindset because you are literally engaging in changing the neural pathways in your brain fascinating stuff and um i'm going to just touch through here real quick um so she touches on the limbic system which is a part of your brain it's a part of your body uh it's a part of your brain that oversees basically your self-preservation right it, that's that's a number one human thing self-preservation um it manages your emotions it manages your memories your reactions and your bodily functions um, so there's two parts to the limbic system. I'm going to go through this pretty quick. I, and if you're a nerd like me, you found you'll find this interesting. If not, just bear with me for a minute. Um, you have the hippocampus and the amygdala. Um, so the hippocampus basically has a couple of functions. Uh, it's it, how do I explain it? In the simplest terms, it's for creating memory. It, it basically packages together. Uh, um, you know, any kind of story or memory that you have, all the things that go into the detail of that, it packages it together. So that when you have a memory, you're remembering the sights, you're remembering the smells, you're remembering the tastes, all of those things. And that's done in hippocampus. Um, It's also, uh, it receives the senses and associated emotions. So that's what I just said. Um, So that's why when you have a memory of something, Or let's say you're walking along, and this happens to me a lot, I'll be outside walking and there's a smell in the fresh morning air, always takes me back to when I was in the Marine Corps and I used to have to go out and run in the morning every time. And I can feel that all over again because of a smell. That's the hippocampus at work. Um, The other part is the amygdala. And the amygdala um, is basically what triggers your safety system. Um, So everybody knows you experience a threat. There's chemical releases in your body. Um, There's a reaction. That's the amygdala at work. And it's doing this for survival and Mm self-preservation. So this is all a very important part. Um, And the reason I bring this up, and the reason that she brings it up, of course, is the fact that because of self-preservation, we often won't change our minds. We won't try new things. We won't uh, experience new things because of self preservation and that deep desire to make sure we're okay. Um, so that's part, that's why this conversation, this part of the conversation is very uh, important. I want to kind of go through here a little quicker. Um, she also talks about the fact that we protect ourselves on a psychological basis. Right, we want to make sure that we're okay psychologically and emotionally, and our brain is wired to do that automatically. Um, so we have to be very careful to not assume that what we think or believe, not only about ourselves but about life in general, is the be-all end all of it. Um, it's basically our our brain trying to protect us, um, and so we have to we have to remember that the things that we experience in and of themselves don't exactly have intrinsic meaning. In other words, um, they only have the meaning that we assign to them. So that meaning is going to be based on our experience, our past, um, our emotions surrounding a situation. All of that is wrapped up in how we interpret something and then decide, you know, if it's helpful for us or if it's harmful and what's fascinating about all of this is it happens so quickly. And at the subconscious level that we often don't even know it's happening. So the problem with that is that we can get, uh, very set in our ways and afraid to change just because of that. Um, and one of the other things that can happen of, of course in that is that we can create some biases, um, we can end up with a negative bias. Uh, so let's say, for instance, you've had some kind of neg- negative experience um, with a company. We've all had that happen, right? Um, I'll tell you one I had uh, when my oldest child, who's now 31 years old, so this is how long ago it's been, um, he, when he was a baby, I was by myself. My husband was in Japan and I was hungry one night, ordered Domino's pizza. Um, I got food poisoning. I was so violently ill from food poisoning that it was difficult for me to function for a couple of days. And I had a brand new baby. Um, I wouldn't eat Domino's for years. I had a negative bias to them. Um, more, uh, more likely than not, I could have eaten them a week later and it would have been fine. But I didn't eat Domino's pizza for 13 years because I had a negative bias towards them. Well, that was a belief in my mind that was triggered off a very negative experience and how it made me feel in the moment. I couldn't take care of my child as well as I wanted to. I was physically ill. Um, And not to give you too much information, but I don't enjoy the process of being ill and it causes a fear of choking. So I had all these memories stored in my brain. So anytime the name Domino's came up, I literally my lip would curl up and I'm like, i have never eaten there again. So I created this negative bias. Well, we do this with everything in life. We create either a positive bias or a negative bias to something. So you can see after a while that it can start to have a very deep effect on what you allow into your life, what you decide to think about or even attempt. Um, so I'm going to get busy here and get going faster. I know I keep saying that, sorry. Um, Anyway, the brain is fascinating. I'm going to skip over that, even though it was one of my favorite parts. Um, So, let's talk a little bit about how you got conditioned. Um, So, automatic subconscious reactions to fear are part of how you get conditioned. Fear is one of the most incredibly um, strong emotions, but it's also one that is the most impactful as it pertains to setting up conditioning in your life, right? Um, And we do things from fear, like wanting to change somebody else's behavior um, because it doesn't align with our conditioning. Uh, We want to blame others so that we don't feel shame. Um, We don't act or do things that we want to do because we're afraid of failure. I think that's a really big one for a lot of people. And I'll tell you right now that I struggle with that right now in the course of bodybuilding or in the course of performing athletically there's this very big, real fear of failing. Um, and nobody wants to do that. Although ironically, failing is a part of of victory. Failing is a part of, of finishing well, because every time you fail, you learn something from it. But yet we've given such a negative connotation to failure that we're all very afraid of it. Um, we also... Say in a business setting, hold back our opinion on something because we don't want to be wrong or embarrassed. Um, my friend Seth and I are, are holding some conversations on something called imposter syndrome. Many of us are very much afraid of being told that we don't know what we're talking about. Even if it's something that we've prepared for, our, you know, uh, intellectually or educationally for, there's still that fear that somebody's going to tell us we're wrong. And newsflash somebody's going to tell us we're wrong. Guaranteed. Spend 10 minutes on the internet. It doesn't matter how well-known you are for your knowledge on something, how many degrees you have, how many certifications, you can present an opinion and guaranteed someone is going to tell you you're wrong. So we should just really get past that fear, but it's a difficult one to get past. Um, what's another example? Maybe, okay, how about staying in a relationship that's bad for you because you're just afraid of being alone? Fear keeps us locked in place, and so we have to get past that fear in order to to change how we think. Um, So we need to talk a little bit about reward then. Um, You're going to hear me turning pages because it's a book and that's what I do. Um, Rewards are a pretty big motivator as well. And they're actually one that can overcome fear depending on how good the reward may be. Um, So there's two systems in the brain, right? We already talked about that. Um, two brain processes that support some kind of reward mechanism. Um, The first is a pretty strong one. It's a a dopamine release or a neurotransmitter, right? Most of us know that our own body chemicals are often as strong as many of the drugs that we can use. And because of that, you can get addicted to your own bodily chemicals. That's a contention I've had for a long time. Um, Unfortunately, I'm addicted (laughs) to to stress. So my body chemicals are a little bit different. Um, But that explains cravings, right? Anytime that we are craving something, it's because there has been a dopamine release in our brain because we've had a good experience with it. Um, So that's something we need to keep in mind, especially if you're like me and you're struggling with willpower on what you can and cannot eat. You have to realize that you have a dopamine release that's associated with whatever that is that you're craving. Um, The second process, process, as I said, there's a reward mechanism um, that is, it's triggered basically by the release of some other chemicals, neurochemicals like serotonin, endorphins, oxytocin. Your body creates all that on its own. Um, So many of us have heard of like a runner's high. Well, the reason that we've heard of a runner's high is that that is a, a body chemical release that happens to somebody in the midst of athletic performance. And it feels good. And then you begin to associate running with that feeling. And so now you want to run more. So do you see how this works? You begin to change your behavior and your mindset because of your body chemistry and how your brain is functioning. And so I don't want to simplify everything we do to this idea that, well, it's because I, I can't control it. It's in my brain. But we the, the idea of, of this book is that we can control it. We can change it. Um, but it takes some work, okay? So we have to we have to be aware of that, and we have to be interested in changing some of those things or looking at them from a different perspective. Um so some key points here that she makes about this, and I'll just run through these real quick. Um, you create beliefs about yourself, others, and the world, and those beliefs are the foundation for your conditioning.. Um, The protection mechanism of your brain conditions you to react fearfully in unfamiliar or undesirable situations, which then allows fear to control your thoughts and your behaviors. Um, So you have to go beyond that fear is her point. Your painful life experiences have created beliefs and memories that your brain perceives as threats and your brain automatically begins to function in the way that it was created to function um, with releases of chemicals um, and, and mindsets that are meant to protect us. Um, so if we have a lack of of awareness about this kind of conditioning and its influence in our lives, we can actually sabotage ourselves. We can actually misdirect our own life because we're relying on, on thoughts that actually can be changed because we don't know that they can be. So we need to be very careful about that. Um, some of the things that actually, I talked to, I, I mentioned fear, but she lists some others and I'll just list them for you. Uh, Fear, Uh, these are things that actually have an effect on on how you think. Uh, Fear, your family, your social circle, uh, the media, that's a big one, your culture, your education, your work experience, what you value in life, and pretty much your habits. All of those actually have a very big effect on your ability to change your behavior. So we have to remember that we are subconsciously programming ourselves based on these things. So to change, we're going to have to consciously program ourselves around those things as well. Um, so here was my the next chapter was the one that another one that was a big one for me, and it's on the ego. Loved this chapter. Um, so she has an anonymous quote here: "Ego is just like dust in the eyes." Without clearing the dust, we can't see anything clearly. So clear the ego and see the world. Um, now, I'm going to tell you, this is a dicey subject <laughs> because people get very defensive. I get very defensive about things like that uh, that that are surrounded in this discussion on the ego. So ego is basically your sense of self, right? It's the I. When you're saying I anything, you're talking from your ego, Um so throughout throughout like your life, your ego constructs not just one identity um, but multiple identities that are defined for you. Now, I'm not talking about multiple personalities, although we can be. I'm talking about the the you you show to different people, and I liken this to being an actor on a stage. It's character development. you are. You are developing the identity for each situation that you find yourself in. So you have your work identity, you have your athletic identity, you have your church identity, you have your home identity. It doesn't mean that these aren't authentic. It just means that you are adapting to your surroundings and you are conducting yourself in the way that's expected in those surroundings. Um, So the problem with this, however, is we have to make sure that we keep the ego in check right? Uh it, We have to make sure it's not controlling us, but that we are controlling it. Um, so she gives an example, and I, and I like this example, so I'm going to share it with you. Uh The best way to explain the ego, so let's say you're a famous athlete. Your whole life has been revolved around your sport, okay? So say you're a basketball player. Um, you've gotten up as a child, you've trained early, you've participated in competitions. You, your friends are all, uh, athletes that share your, your love of basketball as we're using in this example. Um, you're building a career. So you reach a point where now you've, your education is surrounding that. Maybe you've gotten a scholarship. Um, you get, you get recruited, you play professionally, you have this very lavish lifestyle that's built around this talent. You basically have arrived, right? That's your entire identity. And then what happens? Well, we all know that the chance for an elite athlete to be injured to the point of losing their ability to play their chosen sport is a very real reality. Or that was redundant, is a reality. Um, So now you find yourself injured, your career's over and you feel lost and you don't know what to do with your life. Well, that's because your ego still sees you as an athlete and doesn't know how to move on to being something different. So this is where it gets really dicey because if you continue to live from that mindset, you're either going to overtrain and try and get back and really hurt yourself even worse if you're even able to do that. If you're not, you're not going to feel happy or satisfied with the situations in your life because they're not not what your ego sees as your identity. So we have to remember the ego likes to look good. Everybody knows that. Of course you want to look good. Right, Your ego is actually there to protect your self-image. It wants everybody to see the best in you. The ego wants to be right. It wants to look for acceptance. Um, It wants validation of its own identity. Um, That one's hard to overcome because we all want to be validated. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if you're just wrong? Um, I heard a comedian a long time ago, (laughs) I I found this humorous, um, talk about using... Drugs and and he didn't use them, but he had asked a friend, "Why do you use Why do you use drugs?" Uh, and I think the drug of choice at that point he was talking about was cocaine. And his friend said, "Well, cocaine it, it enhances your personality." And his response is, was, "Well, what if you're an asshole?" Um, and and I've always found that humorous. But that the the ego wants to be validated, so we we're going to justify and look for reasons as to why our ego or our identity is okay. Um, It's a very difficult force to deal with, uh, which is why it's, you know, of course, been the subject of psychology since the beginning. Uh, But your ego loves control. Uh, The ego gets in the way of respecting one another, quite honestly, Um, because we see ourselves as, as right- uh, and, and our opinion is valid. We have a tendency to disrespect or disregard anybody's opinion around us. Again, much of this comes back to any kind of discussion you're going to have on changing your mind, whether it's over a religious belief system, politics, any of these things, it's very difficult to change your mind because your ego doesn't want to, it likes being in control. So we have to be very conscious of that. Um, so I passed over that pretty quickly. Um, but that was a great, a great subject matter, a great chapter. I really enjoyed that, uh, chapter. And she goes on to talk about mastering your emotions. That is a valid thing. Although I know that some people struggle with that because we've been told we're too emotion, too emotional, and that's hurtful. That was hurtful to me. Um, but yet it can be true. I I do recognize that. Sorry, I'd take a drink of, of some tea there. <clears throat> anyway, it can be difficult to change your emotional status um, because it is a part of our personality. The, the trick here, once again, is not that we're trying to get rid of it, but that we're learning to control it. Um, our emotions shouldn't control us. Um, so here she has another quote, another one that I had highlighted. In the measure that you master yourself, that you control your mental forces instead of being controlled by them, in just such measure, measure, will you master affairs and outward circumstances? So in other words, you have to learn to control your emotional state and in so doing, you will learn to control much of what goes on in your life um, because your emotions are basically a barometer, right? They're uh, they're a in- performance indicator, if you will, um, that kind of highlights what's going on in your world. Uh, if you're happy, if your emotion is joy, most people can look at you and say, "Oh, that person's having a good day." Well, I mean, that's simplistic, but that's the reality of it. Um, we typically have emotional outbursts for different reasons, um, and so she goes through a series here of, of saying we should ask ourselves questions. And now, this is very difficult to do, and I have tried to do this, um, I, especially with anxiety, because I because I deal with a lot of anxiety on a normal basis. Um, as soon as I feel it, one of the first things I now will do is make myself sit down and take a deep breath and say, okay, when did I start feeling this? What was I doing? Who was I with? What was happening? And I try to identify where that's coming from. Now that's not always able to be done. Uh, Sometimes anxiety is just generalized. However, asking those questions allows me to help figure out Ways around that anxiety. So she has a whole list of questions here, and these are not something that you have to go through, but I thought some of them were really good questions. And the first one, like I said, what triggered my emotion? Where did it come from? Where did the trigger come from? And sometimes we have to go back and identify that. Um, what can I learn from this? Sometimes emotions need to be evaluated or observed. So if I'm angry over something, and my question is, what triggered this? Uh, what What made me angry? Now, why is that a trigger? Okay, now what can I learn from this? Of course, that's easily said, easier said than done when you're standing outside the emotion. When you're in the midst of the emotion, however, much more difficult to do. I recognize that. Um, So we have to learn to accept the emotion, take time to understand it, um, and then evaluate the behaviors that that emotion brings up from us. And sometimes we're going to find out that we don't like ourselves very much in that moment. Well, that is a a key reason then that maybe we need to make a change. Um, And we do that, again, with the power of the mind. So we have to, here's another one of those statements, unleash the power of the mind. Yeah, I know. It sounds weird, but it's so true. And I don't know why it makes me cringe to say things like that. Again, probably my conditioning. Um, Many people have heard of Napoleon Hill, rich, uh, rich man, poor man. Is that him? Anyway, he had a book out. I've read it multiple times. I can't remember the name of it right now, um, but every man is what he is because of the dominating thoughts which he permits to occupy his mind. It's just true. Um, there's an old example. I've used it many times uh, of a study that they did somewhere here in California. I want to say out in Lancaster, which is out in the high desert. Um, but they did a study. There were an inordinate, inordinate amount of people running into telephone poles <laughs> out there in the high desert. I, I don't know. Weird thing to study, but anyway, it was happening and what they found is that there's nothing else out there to look at and I've been there, it's true. Um there were these telephone poles so people would count them or they, you know, they would begin to notice them. Well, whatever you focus on, you hit. And so <laughs> these people were counting telephone poles or you know, concentrating on them, maybe even subconsciously. And before you know it, they have an accident run into the pole. So basically, that's the point of that that comment, though. That basically, the dominating thought is, you know, you're going to experience life based on the dominating thoughts that you that occupy, occupy your mind. So we have to be kind of conscious of those. And unfortunately, those are often done subconsciously. And so, again, difficult to do. Um, so she gives us a couple areas in which we can Bring more awareness and focus in our life. Um, Be alert, be aware of when you are your own worst critic, and start considering whether it's part of your conditioning. That's a big one for me because, as I've said numerous times, my self image takes a beating all the time. So, is that a part of my conditioning? Well, yeah, it is. So, the best way to overcome an inner critic is to practice self compassion, which I'm notoriously horrible at, uh, but to be kind, accepting, understanding toward yourself. So, that's one of the things that we need to watch. Um, this one is the one that will piss you off pretty quickly. Uh, be alert and be aware of when you fall into victim mode. Now, this is the one where people will start to push back, and I did with my life coach. Um, you know, that whole idea of victim mentality on the surface seems to indicate that we are just feeling sorry for ourselves and we have no reason to have ever been considered a victim, and that's not true. Um, But that's immediately the defense that comes up. The idea, however, is that we are ruminating or living in the idea that this is our identity now, this victim. And so people that are working on getting around that are working on coming to a new understanding of their identity, not identifying in the place of that victim. But that doesn't mean they're negating the events or the, um, the experiences of that Of themselves or the person that was victimized. It just means that they are saying you are more than these experiences. So we have to be aware of that. Um, Another one is be alert when you're ruminating on something. You have to be careful about what you're thinking. If you are prone to negative thoughts, you have to be aware of that and start course correcting on that. Um, Be aware of when you're seeking validation. What is it you're actually looking for there? And you know, you're subconsciously seeking something in that. And so we have to kind of look at it and say, okay, what is what is it that I'm needing in this moment that's that's driving this need for validation? Um, and, and what I mean by that is, if I have a viewpoint on something, right, and and I'm looking for somebody to agree with me, why is that viewpoint so important to me? We want to go back to the root of that and say, okay, what makes this such an important thing for me? for someone to agree with me or to say, you're right. Why do I need that? Um, and then the last area that she highlights is uh, using conditioned language that lacks possibilities. Um, basically it's your con- conscious or uh, subconscious use of language um, because that language governs your actions. So you have to be careful, you know, about what you're saying. Um, for those of you, yeah, pre, you know that are inclined towards the Bible out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we have to be aware of w- of what's coming out of our mouth—that self-talk, basically. Um, so we have a power of choice. Eckhart Tolle says that choice implies consciousness, a high degree of consciousness. Actually, without it, you have no choice. Um, so choice begins the moment you disidentify from the mind. And it's conditioned patterns the moment you actually become present. So in other words, you, we all like to say, I have a choice. I have freedom of choice. Well, you do only when you become aware of that fact and that you consciously use it. So that's one of the things that we have to be aware of is, uh, am, I, am I acting from a place of choice right now? Or am I just doing what I n- normally do because I've never thought about it otherwise? So we have to choose our thoughts. Right. Um, and that's difficult. Have any of you ever tried to meditate? Oh my gosh. I have this app on my phone, it's called Headspace. It's a great app. It's got a whole library of meditations. But I am notoriously a horrible meditator um, because I will be off in La La Land somewhere else, you know, or on my task list um, or in an argument that I've had when I'm supposed to be just letting my mind relax. Um, so I'm horrible at it. But one of the things that I loved about the way they handle that is they tell you that that's normal. Well, it's good to know. Um, and they just gently remind you, okay, bring your mind back, bring your mind back. And we have to, because we have to train our mind to let go of those thoughts that are not helpful to us in that moment. So we have to choose our thoughts. We also have to choose the meaning of our circumstances, right? We have to evaluate the things that are happening around us, and we have to look at the circumstances and say, what does this mean? Rather than allowing it to just cause us to react. Um, we get to choose to be grateful. I think that's really important. And of course, again, scripturally, yes, we are supposed to be giving thanks in all things. So being grateful has properties of positivity, if you will. It allows you to begin to see the good in things. Um, I had a practice with my children when they were growing up. Um, one of them had to use it more than others, or I had to use it with one of them more than the others, but they all had it at some point. Um, they would come home from school, or as they got older, they would have a job and came home from work, and they'd be very negative uh, and upset about things. And it used to drive me crazy. And so I made a rule that they couldn't complain when they got home until they told me three good things that had happened that day. And I mean, sometimes they had to really work for it, Um, but three good things. And then they can complain as much as they want. Well, ironically, what happens is once they began to talk about the good things, the bad seemed less important. And almost without fail, um, any negativity after that was pretty minimal. Um, It's very hard to go back to ranting when you've had to reverse your mind and kind of think about what you're thankful for. Um, We should also have a curious mindset. I think curiosity is a wonderful thing. Now, it can be dangerous sometimes. It depends on what you're curious about. Um, but, yeah, we should be curious. And we have to choose our focus. Um, again, going back to the telephone poles, what are you looking at? What, what has your attention? Uh, we have to choose to be present. We have to train our mind to be in the present. Not ruminating on what is already past that we can't change. Not worried about what's coming up that we may have no control over. But we have this moment, we have this time that in the moment we get to decide what's important um, and we get to choose our response to it, right? Now, I'm in awe of people that can actually take that breath and think before they speak. It's not a quality that I have very often. Uh, typically, my mouth is already responding to somebody before my brain is engaged. Uh, anybody else have that problem? Um, but yeah, we get to choose our response. We get to choose to take responsibility for our lives, and we should. Often we don't, though. Um, again, we go back to the victim mindset or mentality that, that life is happening to us and that we don't have any, any way of controlling that. But that's not true. We do. We have to just take responsibility first. We have to choose to love ourselves. And that's difficult. That one makes me pause because it, that is incredibly difficult. Again, going back to conditioned beliefs about ourselves and our worth based on experiences and emotions and all of these things that have happened in our, in our brains um, has created a picture of ourselves that sometimes we're not happy with. So it, sometimes it is difficult to find that love for yourself, but we should choose to do that. Um, we should choose to observe ourselves, to look at what makes each one of us happy, what makes us sad, what makes us afraid? And now we can start to live on purpose according to those things, right? If if certain things make me afraid, I have to evaluate what makes me, why it makes me afraid. Is it something that could be harmful to me? Is that why I'm afraid? And then we have to decide if it's something I should do anyway to get over that fear. Um, I have to look at the things that make me happy because what makes me happy is what I should be living my life towards. Um love and joy, peace, all of those fruits of the spirit that we as Christians like to talk about, but often we don't live our lives in accordance with those fruits. Uh, You get to choose your definition of success, and that's going to look different for each one of us. You know, we've all had this idea ingrained, or many of us have had this idea ingrained in us that to be successful in life, you grow up, you go to college, you get a high-paying job, you have a family, a house, a car. Um... And we've decided that if we don't have those things, we're unsuccessful. Well, that's not true. Success is defined differently. It's subjective. Um, What is my definition of success may not be yours, and nor should it be because you're a different person. So we get to choose our definition of what is success. We get to choose love over fear. That's a big deal. Because too often, especially within society and currently in our current culture and environment, we have a tendency to live from a place of fear the fear of what's going to happen. And that was one of the the problems I had ongoing with my Christian belief system is that it had a ten- tendency to have me living from a place of fear of what was going to happen in the future. And I don't believe that's what God wanted. I don't believe that was the focus we were supposed to have. We're supposed to be choosing love over fear. We also get to choose to forgive. And that's a big one. And what that means is, that it's us making a choice for us. It doesn't mean that we have to, that we have the ability to require somebody else to accept our forgiveness. Um, but what it means is I choose to forgive because that way I can release this negativity, this hurt, this pain, this fear of whatever the situation is. And I can say, I, I choose to let that go and I'm healthier for it. And finally we get to choose our habits. Um, You get to decide what you do every day. But in doing so, make sure you go back and evaluate your whys, basically. Go back and evaluate your conditioning. Go back and evaluate your ego. Go back and evaluate your experiences and the physical effects that they have had on your life. Um, once we choose to do all of these things, we have such a better chance at actually making change in our life, moving towards those goals and things that we want to do, moving towards the relationships that we want, um, the experiences that we want and the way that we want to be as a person. Um, anyway, so much more in this book that I did not get to, I'm trying to adhere to my, to my timeline here. Um, I want to leave you with a final quote. You exist in time, but you belong to eternity. You are a penetration of eternity into the world of time. That, that's beautiful. You are deathless, living in a body of death. Your consciousness knows no death, no birth. It is only your body that is born and dies. I love that line. You are a penetration of eternity into the world of time. That's who you that's who you are. That's who each one of us is we need to start living from that reality. We all just need to wake up. Anyway, great book. Thanks for hanging with me. Thanks for listening to me ramble on about a subject that maybe is uncomfortable. Um, But I definitely suggest the book. Again, it's called Wake Up, How to Get Out of Your Mind, Stop Living on Autopilot, and Start Choosing Your Best Life by Claudia Valandia. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day and go out and live on purpose today.